Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hoth. And each week on The Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got David Bolasomi. David is a TCU alum, class of 2020 offensive tackle. Obviously, for those that don't know, so obviously it's Texas Christian University Horn Frogs uh, football team. And you have been described by Gary Vanderchuk himself as David discovered the game late, later than the, the most. So it's so he's got so much raw talent. So obviously from some from the man himself, Gary V, that's probably a very uh, humbling, <laughs> uh, well, testimonial, however you want to put it. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was very very humbling to be honest with you because I've been following Gary V since I was a sophomore in college. So my senior year, when it was time to pick an agency, like it was it was a done deal. Like as soon as they reached out and I was like, "Van your sport," I was like, "Are you serious?" Like, dude, I, like I watched probably all your videos. Like you know, so it was for me. It was you know, it was it was very. I was very excited by it because I mean, I just what he's about, what he preaches, right? Not only from, like, obviously, like, he's big on content creation, but just, like, life, how you go about life, how, you know, like, you put your head down and you just work, you know? And, you know, try to be good to people. Try to be good by people. Try to be good for yourself. And that's the real, you know, that's how you define success. Not about how much money you have or lack of or, you know, things like that nature, but, you know, how much you love to do what you do. And, that is just something that resonated with me from the very beginning. So again, like when it was time to sign, I was just like, Oh, I'm, I'm on board, dude. Like, <laughs> like, you know, I love your stuff. So David, talk to us about obviously you coming into the game of football quite late. Describe yeah. your journey, but being different from other people. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I wasn't born in the United States. I was born in the Congo in central Africa. And, uh, the year that I was born in 97, there was a civil war in my country. So we, you know, we had to flee the country. So I was, I was born a refugee and uh, we actually had to flee again from the Republic of Congo to uh, Togo, small country in West Africa. And that's where I lived for the first 11 years of my life. And again, as refugees. And then when I was 11 years old, we got picked by the American government through their reinstallation program, which is like they picked a certain amount of families from war-torn countries and then bring them to the United States for essentially a fresh start. So my family's my family was one of the families got got lucky to be picked when I was 11. And that's how we landed in a small town in West Texas called Abilene, Texas, which is like, I was always like, I, I grew up, Lome, Utah is where I grew up for most of my life. It's a huge city. It's a city of like 3 million people. So like there's a lot, you know, interactions. It's just no it's just it's a lively city and then to go from that to Abilene Texas was just a complete culture shock it was first of all I cried on the entire flight here right because like the only thing I knew about Texas was the show Dallas and I was terrified of horses back then so I thought I was going to have to ride a horse so now and then my mom played along with it so it was just like it wasn't the right mix at all but anyway turned out to be an amazing experience for me met some amazing people down there but Again, moving from Togo to the United States, there's a bunch of things that I wasn't introduced to, like American football. I I didn't know the game existed until I landed in the United States. And <clears throat> obviously, landing in, in Texas, the first thing you see is, you know, the star, right, the Cowboy star. And I didn't know what the heck that was at all until one random Sunday, <clears throat> I was uh, just watching TV with my grandmother and, you know, Sunday Night Football, and I happened to watch a game, and I was like, oh, this game doesn't make sense at all. This is not fun. You know, first of all, why is it called football? Like, the football I'm used to, you know, people play with their feet, so it makes sense. So it was just, it was just a bunch of things where I was just like, yeah, like, this game is not appealing at all. 
But, you know, fast forward, you know, I go to school and all my friends play American football. And, you know, obviously I want to be willing to play with my friends. So start throwing the football around and understand it a little bit more. But really didn't start really getting into it until I moved from Abilene, Texas, to then Texas, my junior year. And uh, when I moved in my junior of high school, this big black dude, my, my, he eventually became my online coach, Coach Eve. For the first two weeks of school, will walk up to me and be like, what sport do you play? What sport do you play? I'm like, I don't play any sports, man. I just, you know, I go to school, make sure my grades are, are good. I go home, I work my, you know, my side job on the weekend, and, you know, that's all I do. He was like, dude, you're so tall. You have the, you have the tools. Like, you need to play. You need to play. He did that for the first two. I kid you not, every day for the first two weeks. And I was like, you know, then I was like, okay, dude, like, if you're going to put that much, like, effort into talking to me about the same thing, what the heck, I'll try it. And I tried it, and my first practice, I was absolutely atrocious. I was horrible. Oh, my gosh, it was just disgusting. And he pulled me into the film room and he showed me the film. And basically he showed me that every single mistake that I made on the field was something that could be fixed as long as I was willing to work. And I've always been a competitive kid. I've always, you know, like I've always wanted to be the best at whatever it was, whether it was a school, whether it was project that I worked on, whether it was work. So the fact that I stepped on the field and I wasn't even remotely decent at all, like, that pissed me off. I was like, no, like, that's that's not okay. That's that's not the standard that I live my life by. Like, I need to be good at this. And, you know, again, I bought in. I bought in 100%. I dove in. I dove, you know, straight in. I literally, from the standpoint where I was like, okay, I joined the team and I learned the game of football, all I would consume was NFL Network. I work out like two or three times a day, just absorbing the game. And, that's how I grew to love football. I grew to love football by learning football. Like, literally, all I would consume was NFL Network, ESPN, watch film, watch old film, watch old lineman film, just, like, from the 60s, and just see how, like, the game progressed and, like, why, like, and that the reason I love football now is because of, like, all the things that, that's, like, football is like a chess match. It's like, you know, people see the hitting and, like, obviously that's sensational. That's what sells seats. But it's, it's a game of chess. It's about, you know, looking, like, trying to find the little holes that you're putting in. It's just, like, seeing it from, like, basically taking myself and just seeing it from, like, a holistic point of view. I was like, oh, like, this game is beautiful. Like, it's amazing. Like, and that's, that's how I grew to love football. And then, yeah, I played my junior, senior year, my senior year. I was blessed enough to have, you know, a bunch of Division One offers, and then I picked TCU, and, you know, I've, I've been there for the past four years, and now I'm done. So out of curiosity, David, why be, being born in Africa, why have you got an uh, Italian-sounding last name? <laughs> that is funny, because you're definitely not the first person to say that. And to be honest with you, I have no freaking idea. No, no idea at all. I mean, that's, you know, the last name of, you know, my father and his father before that. And I, I honestly don't know. Maybe, you know, I don't know, way back in the gap at some point, there was like, you know, some like, I don't know, like influx. And that's how I got my last name. But I don't know. Like, it's funny because like literally uh, the first time I met the chancellor, which is like the president of our school, he was like, oh, I thought you were, like, an Italian guy, like, just looking at your name. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. So, obviously, moving from high school to the University, university of uh, Texas, Texas Christian University. I almost yeah. dropped in the University of Texas by accident. Uh, why did you pick that one over all the other schools, then? That's a very good question. So... The recruiting process coming out of, like, high school, it's an absolute mess, to be completely honest with you. It's, I mean, let me put you in the setting, right? So, at the time, I'm 17 years old, right? Okay. So, obviously, you have to sign this, you know, national letter of intent. I'm 17 years old. That means that it doesn't necessarily mean what school I pick. My parent also needs to pick the same school because she needs to close out because, again, I'm underage. So, you have that. That's the first check. Second of all, in Texas, football is a religion. Like, it's, like, literally, like, I've been to mass on Sunday where, like, the 
literally the press was like, okay, the Cowboys are playing today, so we're going to like, you know, like fast track the mass so we don't miss the game. Just <laughs> that, and that's you know that's completely normal around here. And like you have high school stadium that are bigger than you know some stadiums in England. Like the high school stadium I played in is essentially like it's the size of Wembley Stadium. Think about that. It's absolutely absurd. Anyways, it's a religion down here. So everybody has an opinion about where you need to go. So again, I'm 17 years old, right? So I'm this 17-year-old kid, and obviously, you know, like you get all these Division One offers, and all these coaches tells you, tell you the same thing. Like, you know, you're going to be treated like a son. Their wife is going to be like a mother to you. They're going to bake you brownies. This is the best place for you. And at 17, you don't know anything about anything. You just don't. Like, you know, you, you're an idiot. Like, you, you're still a freaking idiot. And you think, you know, the world is this and it's really not. And, you know, like, it's, you know, so you have all those things. And you have, like, I remember I used to walk into school and, like, teachers walk up to me and like they'd be like oh you need to go here you need to go here i heard you got this offer and, like random people down the street will like come and like give their input and like you know and at 17 i was just like and i, I couldn't necessarily explain that to my parents because again my parents are from africa right all like my parents don't understand like now they understand a little bit about football but back then they did and they didn't understand any they didn't understand the you know the recruiting process for them they only saw it from an academic lens, which was beautiful, right? Because when it came to, like, what I wanted to do on the academic side, I could definitely come to them and we could have a conversation about that and we could look at the pros and cons. But when it came to football, I just I couldn't, right? So, like, if I were to walk up to my mom, it's like, no, I don't necessarily think, you know, the scheme of, like, things I'm used to from a scheme perspective, that coaches, you know, we have the same philosophy on that. She didn't know what the heck I was talking about. Like, you know, like, who are going to be my line? She, she did not know any of that, right? So I didn't necessarily have that support, like, from that side. So, like, when it came to, like, talk about the football aspect of it, I, I relied a lot on, you know, what everybody else said because I couldn't talk about it back home. And it got to the point where it was just, like, it was a lot. And I remember it was one day I was just, I, I had enough. I was like, like, it was fun. I mean, like, it was humbling, like, getting all these offers. But it came at a, it came at a cost, right? Obviously, like, everybody having their input. So, you know, I reached out to Coach E, you know, my online coach, and I was like, I need to talk to you, Coach. And pulling down in his office, and I was like, you know, explain the situation that I was in. And I, you know, bluntly asked him. I was like, you know, if I was your son, where would you have me go? And he said, TCU. And I laughed. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, why would I go to a small school, like, in forward? Like, I mean, obviously, it's a division one school, but, like, size-wise, right, small school in forward Texas, when, like, I have SEC offers, I have SEC offers, like, why would I go there? Like, that doesn't make sense. Everybody tells me, you know, I need to go to the SEC because, you know, I'm a lineman, and that's what I'm in Britain. You sent me there, and you were like, first of all, you're not everybody. That's one. Two, uh, TCU is a great school, not only from the academic side, you know, the uh, influence that they have in the DFW area, but also the program, right? Like, you know, it's not to talk to me about Gary Patterson, right, the head coach at TCU and what the program is like and what the culture at TCU is like and how hard they compete. So just to not just look at the big names, but to give them a try and like just go visit and see what the heck is talking about. So I was like, okay. You know, Coach E, I mean, he's not, he's never led me astray. Like, he's always been, you know, he's hes a very black and white type, very blunt, no BS about him whatsoever. So I was like, if he says that, like, I have to at least go there. And I took a trip to TCU and I stepped on campus and it was, it was a done deal. I was like, oh, yes, like, this is, this is where, this is where I'm going to be. This is where I'm going to be. Did you feel very much at home straight away then, just on that initial visit then? I did. Like, to be honest with you, I did. And it's, it was, it's just, it's something about the campus. And I, there's some things you can't put in words. And obviously it's different for everybody, but I stepped on campus and I felt at home. I really did. I felt like this is the place where I want to spend the next four years of my life. And obviously grow as a man, grow as a person, grow my intellect, but also grow on the field. It was just, I, I don't know how to put it. Like I stepped and I'd like, you know, Sometimes you just know, and I stepped out there, and I just I knew. And do you think you 
un- undersold or underestimated TCU before you had that conversation with Coach E? That it, it was kind of, well, they are a underdog type, type of school anyway for people that don't yeah. don't know. They've kind of gone f- through the ranks. Uh, the, the uniforms, the, the experimenting with it is, 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 is playing around with it. But obviously that's to entice the yeah. younger generation to see, oh, this is what we can do with with uniform combinations. And I, I watched one of your videos with the, the... It's hard to describe what colour helmet. It's like a pinkish purple one. So it's yeah, very, so, yeah. very unique. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we wore that against um, against Texas this year. Yeah, that was a... I, lo- I love that. That that combination was really good. And, like, you're absolutely right. Like, the whole, you know, uniform thing is to... Like, it's sensational, right? People, like, gravitate towards the sensational. And obviously, I mean, it's a, it's a school that's known, you know, to... It's a blue collar school, and that that comes from you know the the culture and the mentality of the head coach Gary Patterson, right? So it's a school that obviously it's a small private school in Fort Worth, but you know we're a Division One school in the Power Five in the Big Twelve. So uh, like that just speaks to your you know the growth that he brought at TCU, right? And it's it's funny you know we talk to like past alums and people that play with him, and you know you don't realize that like 20, 20 years ago when it got to TCU, TCU was in the WAC conference, and I'm pretty sure you don't know what the heck the WAC conference is. Oh, no, I, just... I, do, I, I give some context for be it people, even though by my sound of my voice, I don't. I, my father's side of the family is American, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, which is like how small, you know, how small of a conference that is and how much growth. So it's been very blue collar. It's about work. It's about results and, you know, things of that nature. So obviously, like, you know, from a brand perspective right like you know the big shot school like the university of texas they're gonna get more noise but like you know and that that's one of the reasons why i undersold you know tcu from the very beginning it was i guess name recognition wasn't as high as you know those big names out there but obviously you know competition wise you know the results speak for themselves and yeah that that was a big part of it and honestly going there is what like allowed me to be like whoa like you know, it's it's just it was it's just amazing. It was an amazing experience. Did you even know what a horned frog was so he got there? I had no freaking idea. No idea at all. And when I learned it was a lizard, I was like, first of all, this is <laughs> this is just too much. First of all, why is your mascot a lizard? And like and then you learn the history of it and like you just learned and then it was like, Oh, it this whole makes sense. It's, now I'm a horned frog for life. And do you, do you think obviously? Well, I I didn't know it was a lizard. I thought it was in the frog family. So I've I've learned something new today as well. But David, be it from a lizard perspective, being able to change its see if I can get this right, its spots is the the saying. But do you think it both it goes well with obviously it blends into its surroundings? to be a school that is very much up and coming and will obviously punch above its weight. Do you think it's kind of, well, I'll fit in where it needs to be, but I'll adjust on the fly as well and be adaptable? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a very good question. I think that's, ooh, I don't necessarily know how to answer that. I I do think that in whatever situation, there has to be some type of adjustment period. Because, I mean, obviously, it's not something that you're fully used to, right? And, but but then again, that's just part of life, right? What, what situation is thrown at you? And from start to finish, it is the 100%. You're like, oh, yeah, I was made for this. No, like, dude, you're going to have hurdles. You're going to have to jump through something. You're going to have to compromise some aspect of it. And it's just, I mean, it's you have to be flexible. And, like, obviously, you know, I'm, let me preface this by saying, I'm 23 years old and I know, you know, I haven't like, you know, lived life and all like, you know, my experiences. So again, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but I believe based on my experience that in anything that you do in life, you have to be flexible. It's, it's part of life. Why? Because like situations aren't fit fully just for you, you know, like, cause if they were, you wouldn't have to work for them. You know, that's why work comes into the process. And work is part, like, you know, obviously you're betting yourself, but you also compromising 
aspects of yourself, right? Because we're not perfect. We're human. We flaw. We're full of flaws, right? From, from start to finish, right? So for you to make the best out of a situation, you have to essentially bend a little. And, you know, by bend, bending is good because by bending, you learn new things. Like, you know, like this idea of like, you know, I don't bend, I don't fold, I don't, that only works in like, you know, quotes on Instagram. Like what, what part of your life can you truly say you've never been there? Like, no, like, it's situational, you know? Do you think playing your position helps? Because ultimately, if the pocket implodes, you've still got to protect, be it, okay, I think the one that you did show was protecting the running back but your main objective is to protect the quarterback. So you think having that pliability, versatility, flexibility to a sense, if we have to give mm-hmm. a little bit, and obviously this is very hard for non-Americans to understand what I'm talking about, but be able to go from a straight line to a U-shape, mm-hmm. and ultimately if we still do our job, we've ultimately yeah. won that battle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, I'd say the one thing that playing offensive lineman has taught me is what servant leadership means to the team. Because that's what an offensive lineman is. This is servant leader. Is you do the dirty work, you get no credit, and you're fine with it. And that's because that's that's the job that you have to do. And it's it's really, it's, it's a very interesting position, right? Because if we're talking about it from a, like, Every sport with a ball, right, that, that where there's a ball involved, it's the only position in all of sport where you have the, your back to the ball 100% of the time. Like, you literally don't see the ball, right? But you have to react essentially at the same rate as somebody that's seen the ball coming and put yourself fully in the way of the person that's coming and where the ball is. And it's it creates like this, it, it's, it's this weird sense is, you know, you have to be offensive lineman to understand. It's just like the stuff that you have to do because your whole job is to protect, like all of it. It's from start to finish to protect. It's not, you know, you're not scoring, so you're not getting, you know, those like sensational stats. You're not going to be on ESPN. You're not, you you know, you, you do the dirty work so other people can get the credit and the team can win. But also to that, as an individual, you don't matter. You don't. You can be the greatest right tackle on earth. You can be the greatest center, the greatest left tackle. But if the dude next to you is horrible, it does not matter. Like in basketball, for example, right? Like LeBron James can carry like his you know five person squad, to, and just do an amazing thing. And um, in football, Derrick Henry can break twelve tackles and like boom, like score eighty yard touchdowns. Right? He, he's done it. <laughs> but like as the office lineman, it doesn't matter. Like if you're like just this just absolute beast that's left tackle, if you don't have help, you will get you will get destroyed throughout like the tenure of a game. And it's like it forces you to like learn teamwork and compromise. And like that's why I say compromise because it's funny. Like <laughs> now I'm 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 currently working on 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 the startup. You know, with my uh my, my business partner and. One of the things, like, you know, we're having to hire a team to grow the team out. And uh, on it, like, one thing that, you know, uh, I talk to Trent about all the time is, like, the experience of leadership that I learned playing offensive linemen is very interesting because on the football team, not only just on the offensive line, on the football team, you have 115, 114 people, right? 114 essentially type A males. That we all, all of us think we're right 100% of the time. All of us think, you know, we're the best or whatever the heck we do. And none of us essentially want to compromise, you know, that big by, you know, macho. So it's like having to navigate through that and still be a leader through that. You, you, you learn to compromise. You learn, okay, like, this is time for me to shut up in here. This is like, okay, this is how I go about this thing. And it's like, it's very raw, right? It's uncut. It's not necessarily, you know, like your typical, uh, what you call a cubicle type of, you know, workplace. And it's, and it teaches you again, like servant leadership. Like you, you do all those things, but you need to be fine. We're not getting the praises for it. And to tie back into like 
our, our original uh, when we talked talking about Gary Vee, one thing that resonated to me is, is that the same mentality. It's like you do all this work not for applauses, dude. You do it because it's good, because it's you know it, it, it achieves a goal, and you know like the panel keep moving forward, and that's what matters. That's the only thing that matters. You think that set you up for for good to deal mentally now and psychologically to deal with this pandemic? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I think it has, I think it has 110% because I think first of all, and you know, again, preface this again, I'm 23 year old. I understand, you know, I have limitations to <laughs> things that I have experienced life, but I really do think that, you know, like serving leadership is very important. And I think we all should have some aspect of it because it's, it's not about us. It's really not like at all. And, you know, we, we interconnected. And if anything, the situation that we're in right now has proven how interconnected, how small the world is, right? Like a small virus that started on an 18 hour flight away. Like I went to China last summer to study there. I'm, I'm totally fascinated by China, just like from a culture to like the past 50 years, the economic jump, like I've heard articles on it on LinkedIn. It's just, it's, it's very interesting to me how big of the jump. And I'm actually, uh, I'm learning Mandarin right now because it's just, it, it's a very interesting country, right? So, uh, so an 18 hour flight away, which was honestly, I'm a six, seven kid. So like being in a plane for 18 hours is, is, is truly a fit. But anyways, <laughs> that's what a virus that started at 18 hours, 18 hour flight away, put the whole world on pause. If that doesn't speak to how interconnected we are, that doesn't like, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what else you need to see, right? Like how something so far away, something that you, most people have never seen been to like, have impacted your life and like we're all interconnected so i think because of that we need to have some aspect of serving leadership it's about it's about us helping each other you know it can't just be about me 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 because me, me me doesn't work it doesn't it, it, i i know shape of point it doesn't like the way you're able to live your life here has a lot to do with the way somebody else is able to live their lives there because some way somehow both of you guys living your life is affecting each other. So if we don't take ourselves out of the equation to a certain extent and try to, you know, engage in whatever, whatever it be dialogue, whether it be like, you know, you know, this whole trade talk for a trade or, or things of that nature, we're not going to work. Cause at the end of the day, we only have one world, you know, that's, that's, that's the only thing we have. I know, you know, Elon Musk and his team are trying to find a way for us to live on Mars and we'll see how well that goes. But until, you know, you, <laughs> you're able to grow crops and I'm able to just, you know, walk out on Mars and breathe, we only have one plant. There's only one. So we need to find a way to, you know, cohabit. And I think that's where servant leadership comes, it comes in part. We need to have a certain aspect of it with all of us. Why do you think that people are so engrossed in the me, me, me kind of mindset based on, do you think it's uh, too much of a social phenomenon in terms of, well, I want to put myself out there and I want to be kind of liked as opposed to obviously the internal aspect of loving yourself, irrespective of of social media? I think that's a very good question. Well, not to get philosophical, but then like, you know, it, it comes like, you know, to like, what is, what are humans? Like, what are we, are we communal creatures or like, do we take this idea of survival of the fittest to like the T of it? Like, do we only care about ourselves? And it's, it's very interesting, right? So like, uh, Nietzsche, is one of my favorite philosophers, which is like very interesting because like when I think about like my valley, like it just I just find what he says very interesting, right? So like when he says like, you know, man is a wolf to man, but like he's essentially a dove to himself. That that's very interesting. That's a very interesting concept. And I don't necessarily think that I agree with that concept, but you look at, you know, the world, you look at, you know, like certain war starts, you look at like, you know, uh, hyper-consumption, like, and how, you know, that impacts us and things that we demand as, you know, as individuals. It's like, it's very interesting, right? So, like, there's obviously some truth to what he's saying. And I think it's, I think me, me, me culture derives from 
some aspect of that, you know, that as as humans, obviously you want to, you know, care about yourself first. But caring about yourself first, that's the thing where it's just a reality of it, right? So like one thing that separates human animals, because we are animals, from non-human animals is consciousness, right? And this idea of consciousness, consciousness is very interesting because consciousness is not something that you can easily define, right? So like that's one thing that, you know, like artificial intelligence engineers are they're trying to figure out because you can't you can't just type in a computer so like you can make a computer do a bunch of things so like a perfect example is like chess right so you have computer program like computer algorithms that can beat the best chess players out there which is like you know make you think oh my gosh like this is so close you know what's next but you essentially don't have an ai that can go pick up that chess board set it on the table set every single piece so it can be played so that just like again like think about think about that something very specific like as a chess right all the different you know like essentially in chess you can have every single move can be the right move right so like you know from a computer aspect of it you know it's it's perfect for computer but the simple thing that a four-year-old can do in like picking up a chessboard setting on the table setting every piece where it's supposed to be so then you can play that computer has no idea what the heck is going on, which is just very, like, that's where consciousness comes into play. It's just, it's, it's the little thing. But anyways, the reason I bring that in is because part of consciousness allows us as humans to rise above, right? So, like, certain things that non-human animals would do, right? So, taking care of, uh, like, you know, the mentally ill and things like that. So, like, you know, if it was purely love the jungle, every single, uh, watching every single uh, child that's born out there that you know obviously can't fend for himself would get would get would get killed but as human we're like no that's atrocious that 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 child has value whether he's or hers disability and we're going to care of him right again that's consciousness that's you you know putting yourself you know because if it was purely survival of the fittest we'd throw that kid away but we have come up to a point where we're like no that's we're not doing that like we're above that right because of conscious so i think it's you know it's fighting it's fighting those those human urges right there's like you know because because there, there needs to be limitation to man and that's why we have laws because laws are there to limit humans because humans need to be limited you know because if we all of us just go around there doing whatever the heck we want we won't be able to live with each other it's it's impossible right so there needs to be some aspect of it and i think that's where consciousness comes comes into play that's where you know values come into play that's where you know a bunch of things that are instilling us so like you know be nice to your neighbor well why do you need to be nice to your neighbor why because you're nice to your neighbor he's nice to you it makes it much more like you know uh it's it's a better you know environment for us to live and it just you know it trickled down to like certain things and that's that's my hypothesis on it. Obviously, you know, I haven't tested out, but that's why I think, I think, you know, maybe me come from the innate aspect of human that want to put ourselves first. But again, there comes a question. If we're going to say, you know, we, we obviously, we, we're human, we have consciousness, but then isn't it our job to rise above that to some extent? Well, I think when you bring in the AI, David, I think obviously what the, the computer or algorithm does or any automation to that matter that people or businesses want to do because it's more convenient. Uh, and obviously you can turn over more, stick it to more people. But ultimately, when it comes to the other end of it, you need to be a little bit more of that human aspect because ultimately like you said a robot can't read or can't exhibit human emotions Mm -hmm. yet obviously that would be very scary when it does happen (laughs) uh but i think that is what people resonate with and and they and they're driven towards that individual because ultimately i will have a split second decision on whether or not i like you or, or i don't based on a not multitude of factors, be it because um, the one you did uh, with uh, Jonathan Jones with Off the Ball, with him asking the question of does your size and your height make people make pre predisposed assumptions of you? 
the answer is probably I already know that is is a yes because you are deemed as a threat to somebody else yeah. because you are imposing to 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 that. I probably probably wouldn't, but that's probably because I'm I, I've come from the sporting environment. It's like okay, you've got height and size over me. Whereas when you're whereas the weakness within within your within your skill set and I might look for that as like okay I can't be you and all all these other tangibles but what where where is the limiting uh factor in 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 the makeup of you as a person but I think obviously going forwards I think it's remembering to to, to tell people that it did ultimately yes we probably need to step away from those assumptions because it's a bad one based on well, I don't, I don't like you because you're. Well, you talked. We talked a little about health and, and, and wellness before we started recording. You're gonna have predisposed ideas of somebody because they're fat, even though you don't know anything about what's put them in the, into that uh, predicament. Ultimately, I've had conversations with people behind the scenes through the pandemic, and they've made choices to maybe eat a little bit more because of boredom, a little bit of nothing else to do and grazing and not really being back to your point of the consciousness not fully aware of what they're doing so it's trying to I think ultimately as coach as coaches and as people life coaches etc and influencers is to get to know probably that person's psyche behind behind the eyes and to get to know the individual because ultimately you like you said you were with 113 114 other guys it's going to be bust ups at times in practice but you have to coexist ultimately to win games absolutely absolutely and that's you know i think you brought up a very good fight race like seeing past the facade seeing past you know what the person looked like and it gets very easy and not just like from a physical aspect but I mean, if we take it into um, things we do today, right? So you judge a person based off 140 characters. Like, you have made a conclusion of a human being based off 140 characters. And that's that's very, very interesting. And that's, it's, we don't know each other, right? So like, and it's, it's, it's I mean, first of all, it's, on, I've always found it fascinating, right? And I guess part of it is, I don't know, maybe it's evolutionary, right? So, like, I guess, you know, uh, at some point, you know, before modern technology and things of that nature, if you were to see some, you know, a being, you had a split-second decision to, you know, uh, make a decision of what you were going to do because it was life and death. But, again, things have changed. So, again, it's a matter of, like, you know, rising from that. But it's, it's something that I think we need to learn how to do, you know, to the best of our ability, put our biases to the side and try to get some, get to know somebody. You might not like them, but that's fine. But you, you learn that, okay, I clearly do not like you because A, B, C, D. Not because I've looked at you and I'm like, eh, you don't look like somebody I would like because that makes absolutely no sense to me, right? So like, you know, trying like things that would like, the concept of like, you know, racism, for me, it's absurd. Like, how can you, hate somebody based off the color or like you know like even like if you take race out of it or like you know sexual identity or things of that nature like how can you hate somebody because of you know who they choose to love it's it's absurd to me because there is they're more than that and that's my thing like for me i'm gonna speak from the odd perspective there's things about all my friends that i don't necessarily like but that's that's normal. Like, you're not going to like everything about everybody. I think, you know, as long as you have, you know, there's just obviously certain, like, basis of values, like, you know, how to treat others, like, you know, things of that nature, whatever that may look like to you. But we need to get to know each other. Like, and I think that's one of the big problems that we we, we have right now is we don't get to know each other. You know, we, we know our niche of people, which is, you know, people that, you know, we grew up around and we limit ourselves to that. But the world is huge. And that's why, you know, I'm at the point I'm like, you know, if you have a chance to travel, do it. If you can't afford it, do it. Because it, it just, it, 
it gives you a different like way of looking at things. It gives you like, and it also makes you feel so much like smaller because we feel like the world is huge, but it's not. It's really not. It's it's so close. Again, like it's, and I haven't been to like as many countries that I I wanted to go. Like I think I've only I've been to what like four countries in Europe, three countries in Africa, and only china and asia but i want like my goal is to like literally i've traveled to every single country because it's like you see how similar we are it's like you know like when you know if you look up you know portrayal on the media or like you know movies things of that nature of like you know asians right especially chinese people like they they're put in a box right it's either the the nerd that's really really smart awkward sounding things of that nature or, you know, like, you know, if it's a woman, it's like, you know, she's sexual promiscuous, love cars, things of that nature. And then you go there and you realize, like, I could see my friends into some other people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that is definitely Cordell. And it's like, it's funny because it's like, we're all the same. We really are. Like, we speak a different language. We sound different. We all have our, you know, our accents and things of that nature. But we all the same. We all the same. We all scared of the same thing. We we love food and you know we hate vegetables. You know things of that nature. <laughs> you know we we're all the same. We like we're small and you know you get to figure those things out once you get to know somebody. And I think it's it's something that's missing out from this whole equation is you know we we don't get to know each other anymore. You'll probably like this one, David. Uh, this is a conversation I had with a colleague of mine, uh, Natalie Butler. She put it as we judge people by ourselves and be it, you know, like the, the stereotyping, like you mentioned, be it sexual preference, racism. It comes back to, to, to what do you probably look at, how you've been brought up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously it's kind of, it's a linear effect. It's you're going to pass on how you've been taught, but maybe you should question some of those values in terms of, okay, some people won't ever do that because ultimately they don't want to change. That's fair enough. Obviously you and I would probably not go anywhere near somebody that is, is, is probably racist because it's not for you being in the U S talking about obviously black lives matter and institutional racism you probably have probably seen it in in stadiums of of of, yeah, of playing yeah, absolutely absolutely i've been called the n-word in stadiums more times than i can count to be honest with you and as sad as it sounds you get numb to it which is like it's something i wish i wish that wasn't true but yeah like yes you can call this thing all the time are you serious it's like it's it's like it, it gets to a point where like it stops bothering you and like that starts very young like in high school and like you know obviously the first time you hear it and you're like 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 you like you get pissed off and things of that nature but it gets to a point where you're just like okay like they're going to say whatever and it's it's sad that it gets to that point like the fact that I say that I'm numb to somebody calling me the N-word in a sport contest. It's something that's very freaking sad. And it's, yeah, but that's the reality of it. And like, you know, but to be honest with you, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because I've seen people change. I'm hopeful because I've had conversations with people. And like, that's one thing I I like about living in Texas. Like, because um, one thing about living in the South, right, is it's going to be more overt than it is going to be like, you know, in other parts of the country. In other parts, it's going to be much more political. Like, dude will walk up to you and like literally ask you, like, you know, what is this Black Lives Matter all about? Like, it's all about, about to be all lying. Like, you engage in conversation. Obviously, depending on uh, the type of person, like how open they are, but even if they don't realize what they're saying is ignorant, I think here, they're much like, they will lay everything out on the table. And one of the people, like, I went to the Black Student Athlete Summit at the University of Texas. And one of the professors that spoke there, that's one of the points that he made. He said he had an offer to go and be a professor at Harvard. And, you know, you know, obviously, you know, as a professor, that's like, that's the holy grail. You know, you get to wear that H on your chest. It's, you know, it's a done deal. But he was like, one of the things why he stayed at Tech, at the University of Texas, because he's able to have those, those, he said those conversations 
a much more candid because, you know, you walk in a country club and it's just, you know, something about the culture, which is, it, again, I'm not saying it's supposed to be this way because it's not, but you hear what, they, what they're saying, like, to some extent are able to have a conversation as in somebody else that would just not say anything and you don't know how they feel, you don't know how they stand about you and things of that nature and you're able to, like, you know, uh, have a conversation about that. And that's one of the things I was able to do in my own locker room. Like, one of my really good friends, and we talked about this all the time, we come from very two different, very different background and, like, you know, our views on, like, you know, the police from the, you know, from our, the way we were brought up have been totally different. But I remember it was last year, like, we had a conversation in the locker room and it was after practice and music was playing and people were just being goofy in the locker room. And I, I looked at him, I was like, this would never happen on, you know, on the other side of campus. And he was like, absolutely not. And we just started having a conversation about, you know, why, like, you know, how, you know, sports are very, like, important to bring people together. And, like, he said, he was like, oh, yeah. He was like, one thing for me that changed from the very beginning it, when, when I started playing with you guys and knowing you guys is my view on the police. And I was like, that's interesting, you know, speak more about that. He was like, well, Dave, you need to understand, you know, ever since I was born, I've only seen, like, two people being pulled over. So my whole mindset around the police was like, they're there, you know, they're, they're good guys, they're there to serve, and, you know, most of them are, right, but I was never, like, you know, I've never seen the things that you saw, and obviously, you know, I know you guys, I trust you guys, like, I love you guys, and I hear you guys' experience, and I hear, you know, things that were done to you guys, and things of that nature, and I was like, yo, like, this happens, and, you know, again, conversations, like, that, that's the thing, it, it's conversations, and that's how, you know, his views on they change, and again, that's one of my, um, and that's he's one of my really good friends. So to uh, see that you know happen, like I'm really hopeful. And like it's it things obviously it's not a, a lone case, right? It's things that happen throughout the country. So yeah, that that definitely gives me hope. So David, yeah, talk to me about becoming the founder of Fades to Grades because ultimately you don't run a fade. Being an offensive yeah. lineman, <laughs> why'd you come up with that concept? Absolutely. Um, basically, Facebook's grades started from a single like idea. Is the fact that within a low socioeconomic uh, household, especially you know black and brown people, the emphasis have diverged from academia to being about athletics from the most part, right? So again, I walk into whether it be like you know Walmart, grocery stores, like wherever, movie theaters, things like that. People will see my size and. The question they would ask me, you know, what sport you play? And it didn't matter if I told them I didn't play a sport, things of that nature. That's where the conversation was, like, start and stop. We'll be just all kidding around sport. And it's essentially putting the kid in the box. And the reason for that is obviously in those um, uh, in, in those economic groups, that's the way that they see, you know, their sons or daughter, quote-unquote, way out, right? Way of, you know, bringing themselves out of the situation and bringing their family out of the situation. But then when you look at the numbers – of people that are able to essentially, you know, play at the professional league for a substantial amount of time and make, you know, adequate funds to not only bring themselves out of that situation, their family out of that situation, it is extremely small. And I say it all the time, is you know, you look at the amount of money that an engineer makes from the time they start to the time they retire on average, it's more than a professional player. Why? Because a professional player is probably going to be a professional for about three years when we're talking about NFL and NBA. And then also the chances of you being a professional is going to be like, you know, 1% or like 0.9%, which is in no aspect of your life will you take those odds. So why is it that we spend so much energy, so much funds going through that? So I was thinking, how do we, change the conversation from being just about athletics but you know bring academia back to the fold and I'm an avid reader and I love reading and I remember one day I was reading a book about uh, Martin Luther King and he would just talk about you know how they went about strategizing during the civil rights movement and it was a paragraph in that talked about the barbershop and how it was like a meeting point where they have meaningful conversations and things of that nature and I remember I read that and I started laughing. I was like, if I if if MLK only knew the crap that we talked about in the barbershop, he would be highly disappointed into what he's writing to this book. But also the second thing that came up to my mind was like, whoa, if this could have happened in a barbershop and I see what's happening now, 
That means that there was a switch at one point, which everything that's learned, I believe, can be unlearned. And if it happened before, it can happen again. So I was like, okay, so it's definitely a place where, you know, socialization happened. If you, you know, anything about uh, black and brown people and their barbers, it's, it's one of the few things that we're fully faithful to. So like a person would very rarely, very rarely switch their barbers. Like unless the barber dies or you move very, very far away, you're not going to switch a barber. So that tells me that's this trust right there. With trust, that's a big aspect of socialization. Okay. Then next thing that I did was, you know, I interviewed barbers. You know, how do you see your role? Do you see yourself as like a leadership role, things of that nature? Just a different question there. And that's when I found out, yes, they see themselves as leadership role. Because, again, they've been cutting the same dude's head from the time he's four years old to now he's a grown man at 31 years old. Yes, he's invested in the kid. Yes, he wants that kid to see. So I was like, okay, so he sees himself as a leadership role. And as a parent, how do you see the barber? How often do you go to the barber? And we realized that, okay, it's there enough of time, obviously, for a long period of time for, you know, all those, all those aspects of socialization to kick in and, you know, to really um, entice different aspects of the child. So that's what the idea of Fitness for Brains was about, was to find a way that, obviously, find, uh, make the barbershop a place where um, conversation about academia rises, like, you know, more. But obviously, how do you stimulate that from a barber's perspective? there needs to be influx of money coming in, right? And obviously, as a parent, seeing that, you know, the program is associated with the barber, you're much more inclined to have your kid keep continue to go there and things of that nature, which gives the barber more money, which is even much more enticed to, you know, talk to the kid about academia. And also, as a kid, you are, you are going to go back to the barber because, again, you're not going to switch your barber. And then, B, the barbershop has always been a place where vulnerability happens, right? So if I had a bad game, I, I know I... I had to get a haircut. Like, you can't just show up and not have a haircut. So, either way, I was going to tell them, and I knew I was going to hear, and, you know, that pushed me to, you know, be better in that way. So, that's essentially the whole idea behind Fits for Grades. See, because even, even I had the bias as a host. I think in sport-orientated, I didn't even think of a haircut uh, in terms of a fade. So, there you go. That's that's uh, proves your point to, to that little bit of a bias towards conversations being sports focus that I didn't even think of haircut but obviously moving nicely on to because obviously we will come into the close of the show and I don't want to take up any too much more of your time David so my penultimate question is and it's very difficult uh so you like it if you had to sit down with any player I'll stand out even coach in, in irrespective of any sport dead or alive who would that be and why? Ooh, that's a, ooh, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. Okay, I have two answers, two players. The first one is Spencer Dinwiddle of the, the point guard of the Brooklyn Nets. The reason for that is, obviously, I follow him on LinkedIn, but I always wanted to meet him, just because, like, I think his values, things that, like, entrepreneur spirit, some things that, you know, identify myself in, and I just, you know, want to pick his brain about, like, you know, how he matches the two, and, you know, I'm very interested into the blockchain technology, not necessarily the crypto aspect of it. I don't necessarily think that's going to work, but just the technology behind it, I find it very innovative. And, you know, just pick his brain about, you know, like the intersection of, you know, sports and entrepreneur spirit. I just, I found that, you know, very interesting. And I think, you know, like, you know, there's a bunch of players that are doing it right. Like Kevin Durant is doing it right. LeBron James is doing it right. I think he's doing it right. But he's doing it in a very different way. And I think 20 years from now, his value is going, like, people are going to be like, oh, we should have definitely done it this way. Because, what he's, what he's setting himself up for, from a technology standpoint, I don't see any other player doing it. It's, it's very interesting. So definitely Spencer Newell. The other one would be Jackie Robinson. And the reason for that is, obviously, we know the story. You've seen the movie, you know, the first African-American to play Major League Baseball. And, but I want to understand how. Like, there has to be, and that's the thing, right? You know, 
the sensational right so like the, the movie is beautifully done and like you know you heard but it's at the end of the day he had to go back to his house and look at his wife and was like okay like we're going to come back for one more camp we're going to come back for one season and i try to put myself in that situation and obviously that's why you know he's jackie robinson and what he's able to do for the game of baseball but just for all sports in the United States he's just I want I want to hear from like I want to hear and then see the expression in his face of like how was he able to do it? like what pushed him through and like you know just I love conversations just like understand that because for me that's amazing like because it's it's two things it's obviously he loved the game and like you're an athlete I'm an athlete you know how much love you have for you know your sport and things of that nature but to have that much love, but then on, on the on the receiving end, you have so much hate, and it doesn't matter how good. And it's, it's one thing if, like, you're not producing or, like, you're disappointing yourself in your production, you have hate, because you can understand. You're like, oh, yeah, you hate me. I hate myself, too, because I suck right now, right? But, like, it's not that. It's like, he was producing, and you have pure hate, and it's like, you have to battle the two, and it's, it's interesting, and I, I would love to, you know, just like, if I could have, yeah, just have a conversation of how and why, because that's servant leadership, right? And for me, it's, you know, I always want to understand, you know, how, what, what push you through. And also, like, because obviously him making that decision to keep playing it doesn't just affect him, but it affects his wife and his children, right? So how do you, you know, what also make them understand that and accept that burden, right? Because obviously as his wife, she understands that she accepts that burden for not only the cause, but also for her husband. Because she could have said, look here, dude, um, <laughs> this is not for me. This is not for me. But she didn't. She did not do that. And it's, for me, that's obviously, that's what, you know, those people, like, you know, I, I, legacy is one thing that pushes me. And obviously, you know, their legacy is going to, you know, to the end of the road, this name is always going to resonate, and you know that's what it's always going to matter. But I, I want to understand that, like how, like what, what creates that aspect of the person. So yeah, that would be my answer. Especially Dean Whittle and Jackie Robinson. And my question, my final question to you, David, before we wrap up the show, then is if you were to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? One sentence. <laughs> Oh, that is that is hard. Talking about a lot. Um, huh? To one sentence. Into one sentence. Today, we talked about. Today we talked about the intersection of sports and life. That's what we talked about. The intersection of sports and life and everything that that involves it. I think that's what we talked about today. That that would be my one my one sentence summary. I hope I did well. Well, I appreciate your time and obviously the conversation was was very um well, it was a great conversation that you and I had. So once again, David, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, James. This was great. This was great. I, I love a, I, I'm a sucker for a good conversation. This definitely was one of them. Oh, it's my pleasure. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let David and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at 6BigPappy2. So that's the number 6, B-I-G-P-A-P-I and the number 2. And as always, at James O. Roberts 11. So that's J-A-M-E-S-O-R-O-B-E-R-T-S and the number 11. And again, this you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. But obviously for David, it is at 7BigPappy7 on Twitter. So that is 7, the number 7, B. I-G-P-A-P-I and the number seven again. And if you had any additional questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check him out on Twitter and Instagram. And as always, don't forget to check out my free content at Fit 
amputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started up a new Facebook group, especially for the podcast, which you can find by typing in The Mindset Athlete. And last but not least, and not forgetting, I've also rebranded my other Facebook group to adapt, master, and improve your exercise and diet to help you lose 10 pounds plus. So make sure to check those links out. It will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under category general. So once again, thanks for listening. And I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.